It's a lovely clear night out there tonight in the arcade. Oh, it is a beauty. The moon is fat, the seas are calm. <laughs> it's lovely. All oh, stars are out there and it's oh, sort of glowing. Big oh. hey, tell you what, that, it's not the only thing glowing. Look here where the bonfire was. Give all. Yeah. Yeah, that's a week ago, arcade. Give it a prod, give it a prod. Oh, mate, get some stick kindling. I'll get some kindling on, get some sticks on there. We'll get the fire back up. What? There it goes. Look at that. It's roaring! <laughs> oh, got a load of logs. Well, do you know what I reckon? I reckon a fire like that can't go to waste. Oh, part deuce of our <laughs> spooky tales! <laughs> well, this is it, we're gonna let's do part two. Part there's there's loads this month, you know, Arkin. If you look at it, there's five yeah. rather than just those, you know, we thought there would be four spooky episodes. There's a bonus five, really. Oh, it's gonna be five, it's a lot more work for us, but we don't mind doing oh, it, I do we? the spooky mail, let's keep it so rolling. So, this is gonna be two of the, episode two of five of our spooky Halloween specials. Oh, you did here last week, which you should have done. Where oh, we at? What yeah. were you doing? Um, <laughs> me and Ben, um, we told spooky stories to each other, which was great fun. Oh, we had a really it. good time. Really enjoyed it. And um, it was all from our, our lives. It was true stories. And this episode, I got something a little special up my sleeve. Ooh. But in the next few episodes, what we're going to have is your spooky stories. So we'd like you to send some of your spooky tales in to us. Things, stories that are paranormal or um, anything a bit odd. If you've seen a ghost, have you seen Sasquatch? Mm. Have you seen something like a phantom hound? Anything like this? Have you seen something that's unexplainable? Get in touch, let us know, and you could be appearing on an episode of Crack and Curve. Now, you could either record it yourself, and I'll organise, if you get in touch with me, I'll organise how you get a sound file across to me. Um, or you could just write it out and just send it in an email. That'd be wonderful, and I'll read it out, or maybe Benny will. Yeah, you all yeah, know. give it a go. And if you want to get in touch with us, it's on the email is at crackencovepodcast at gmail and its Twitter is at crackencove, and Instagram is at crackencovepodcast. Because this is crackencove. The podcast that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. It shockingly is. Yeah. And I'm Matt. And I'm Benny. So there you go. You could actually get that in, get in to us, get in touch, and you could be on Crack and Curve. Join us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so like I said last week we had a, we had our little stories to each other and we've got your stories to come. And we've got a real we had a load of response as well, so thanks to everyone who's already got in touch. Cheers, dudes. But this episode, we're gonna be hacking some Classic ghost stories from around the north of England, around where Crack and Curve is and stuff mm-hmm. like this. So yeah, it's be, juicy. yeah, we've got some classic tales to come. So let's have a look. I'll have a cast out and see what I can see. <laughs> First story, it's a little bit of a callback to last week, right? Because this one is called 
the Whitby Doppelganger. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. And there's a little bit of information in this one, which you know might cast a, cast some light on what happened last week. Mm. So this is from Whitby Uncovered, by the way. The uh, it's a really good little website. They've got some absolutely storming stories on there. Really, really good stories. Um, and I'm going to use a couple of their stories. Might be a bit cheeky. Might be a bit naughty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Using it's the good though. At least yeah. you're giving them a shout out. Yeah, well that's why I'm going to give them a shout. So get yourself across to WhitbyUncovered.com and uh, have a little look at their stories and stuff. And you might just come across this one here. And this one's called the Whitby Doppelganger. So the doppelganger is literally transformed from German as double goer. Double goer. And it's a word and Germans. <laughs> and it's a word that has been used for centuries to describe a double of a living person, almost like a twin stranger. There have been many speculations as to the meaning of having a doppelganger. Some suggest that the doppelganger is an evil twin, but most countries accept the theory that it is a harbinger of death. <laughs> <laughs> so a famous case of a doppelganger occurred in 1812. So it was Percy Shelley, the poet, who was married to were Mary Shelley. Oh, right, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and she wrote Frankenstein, which is uh, also Prometheus Unbound. That's such a cool title yeah. for it. It's a shame we just went to Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so too, yeah. But before Percy drowned at sea, he had mentioned to a few people that he had often seen his doppelganger, who would haunt him and say, How long do you expect to be content? <laughs> oh, God! That's an awful thing that? to say! You might have a right lovely day, because you've got ice cream or something. Mike Duckpond looking at ice cream, Ooh! That rocks up! How long? <laughs> <laughs> really solid really piss oh, on your chips that would you fuck off get my 99er down there go away Percy too <laughs> <laughs> but even his friends reported seeing the doppelganger when Percy was nowhere near the reports of it stopped once Percy had died lots of Percy like you know what this is like a bit freaky. It's an hour bigger of doom. I'll get on a boat, right? Creaky old boat. <laughs> well, I think he was swimming. All right. I think yeah, I think he was swimming because he used to do these mad things and sort of swimming across like um, the Bay of Naples and stuff like this. Yeah. Or yeah. even in Whitby Bay, the the yeah. is a bit of like a tonic, didn't they? I suppose. Yeah, that's it's all a bit ridiculous. Okay, yeah, yeah. poor old person. I think I, I think I'd have been a bit more careful if I were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whitby itself has a tale of a man from Gisborough, who, when visiting Whitby, came across his own doppelganger. Though luckily his quickness saved him from death. You see, there are ways that are said to stop a doppelganger taking your immortal soul. One of which is to challenge your haunting double. Now there you go. In a typical Yorkshire way, the man turned to face his evil twin and shouted, What's the doing here? There's after no good. And carrying on to demand the double be on his way, the doppelganger Realising he'd been challenged, walked away in a sulk, knowing that it had lost its chance at claiming another poor soul. Oh, you 
Lucky bugger, that's, so that's what, what you did. did. That's exactly what I did. Inadvertently, <laughs> I walked up and challenged my own doppelganger and sort of said to him, you know, hey, look, mate, ain't it weird? Me and you look the same. And he kicked off a massively. Jeez, it's totally rumbled, wasn't he? Just yeah, like, he was tumbled. And he, he reacted how doppelgangers react. He blew his stack, went, totally spat his dummy out, and disappeared into the ether. Yeah, or so, just down them stairs and under a bus. Well, yeah, there could have been that. <laughs> so that might be what happened to him. Christ, you lucky git, yeah, man. You so, managed to get rid of that bad juju by chance. Yeah, just by chance. I dodged a bullet there. Wow, man. Pretty good, though, isn't it? Oh, it is, mate. He's, mate. How does he know it's you, though? You could have been. Did you say online or something earlier on that people were saying that how do we know that Matt is the real Matt? Anymore? Well, that's the thing. You, people have been saying, who's the real Matt? Did he really take over? I don't know because mm. I wouldn't know, would I? I suppose you wouldn't. Who would know? Your own mother, Matt. What about your, your weird feet? What about your wet Whoa, feet? What are you about? <laughs> Give me a look at them toes. Don't, don't tell everyone I've got wet feet. <laughs> There's only a couple of them. You know, right, lad. They're there, they're there. I think it's the real Matt. Unless the doppelganger's totally, totally like the same. But then again, these toes are the sign of the twin. Oh, twin toes, yeah. <laughs> I was sticking with Whitby Uncovered again. Oh, sweet. Double bubble. Yeah, baby. <laughs> because, like I say, there's some excellent stories. Pop along there. Do, do have a little read. Oh, we'll be yeah. rooting around there tonight. <clears throat> yeah. And this one isn't for the faint-hearted. Mm. Because this is the story of the burning girl. <laughs> this story's been passed along over time. Though the details have not often changed. So it seems like it's pretty yeah. true. It's pretty solid as this one, you know. It's even featured in Whitby's famous Ghost Walk, and for good reasons. On Grape Lane, once known as Grope Lane, oh, no. <laughs> which, like I say, it's called you know called Grope Lane because that was like the red light district. All right, it will have been Grope Lane, literally <laughs> there. Yeah. So on Grape Lane, there's a building that still stands today, but what a lot of people don't know is that it used to be an infirmary back in 1917. A girl who lived in Whitby called Mary Clark was recognised often in town as she had the most beautiful long blonde hair that shone like the sun. To make the hair as beautiful as it could be, Mary would take extra care, brushing it 100 times every morning and night and finishing it off with a drop of Dr Firth's patent hair oil. Sources differ exactly when it happened, but some say the girl went into a baker's during winter to keep warm whilst others claim that the girl had gone into the local baker's with her father's dinner to heat it up in his oven during the summer. No one is completely certain what happened next, but her beautiful long hair caught a naked flame, and in an instant the whole of her head was on fire, much to the horror of the baker who witnessed the accident. Oh god, beautiful girl, she's all sweet, they whoosh! Oomph, yeah. The girl, in a panic, began running outside, but this only encouraged the flames which quickly spread to her clothes and engulfed the whole of the young girl oh in flames. God, clacking out cobbled streets, screaming, oh, no. full body on fire aid. And the baker chased the girl and began to beat the flames from oh, her. Oh, God, <laughs> oh, my, yeah, he said from her. He said, run out of shops, beating her up. 
<laughs> still holding a loaf. <laughs> Come back with that last <laughs> She's had enough. <laughs> Twatting. No, he's beating the flames out. Oh, He'd been a good lad, yeah. Ooh. But he was too late. She'd been burnt beyond recognition. But unbelievably, she was still alive. Oh, bless her, man. The baker took the girl to the infirmary, her skin bubbling and bursting oh. as they walked. Some of it even peeled off and dropped to the floor, leaving grim remains of Mary. Oh, Horrible. But the poor girl died in agony an hour later as nurses and doctors tried to do all they could for the poor soul. What are going to do for in them days? Well, it's 1917, so actually, if you think it's sort of during the era of that World War I. Oh, There might be bandages, things that could have fixed yeah, her up, but like not an awful lot of it. Salve. Yeah, Slav. Yeah, just lick to clean. What are you doing, mate? Oh, it's good for her, don't you worry. His tongue's like gold. Oh, no. It's now believed that a ghost still appears on the lane in which she met her horrific fate. At first you will see flames, and then Mary will appear within the flames, accompanied by the sound of her skin crackling from the fire. She stares into the eyes of who sees her, then leaves, leaving the smell of burned flesh behind. Oh my god, there's only one good thing about that. Is she could be getting groped and grappling. <laughs> she's she's Maybe, fully on fire. Come, whatever you grab will come off in your hands. Yeah, oh, keepsies. <laughs> Shake the right bit. Is <laughs> <laughs> any bit that's going to be... <laughs> oh, I've got a burnt titties. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. But can you imagine if you're on your holidays? Because oh, he's with me, you know. Yeah, he's got cockles and muscles and that. Yeah, you're there, but like I say, you haven't What's got that noise, Daddy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus screaming down hill at you. Oh, that oh, ruined nah, it. Nah, that's it? bad, especially with those little alleys and stuff in with the old alleys. Oh, It'll be down no. one of them, won't it? No, be really it's still bad. there, we'll be able to Google it, won't oh, we? Oh, baby, yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And we end up with our little trip up to the east coast, up oh, towards oh. A, maybe swing way up up to up to Whitby. Oh, just have a spook coming with me, really. I would, yeah. yeah. Well, look, we, we, the weekend, boys' weekend. We can do that. We can get so we get robots to look after the lighthouse. Yeah, for a bit. yeah. We we'll tie him down or something. Keep beer away from him. I know. Right, for Twenty-four hour, forty-eight hour. I don't know. He looks after it for forty-eight hours. Never mind for Mary getting burned up. That's what happens at <laughs> Cove. Beacon on fire. We'll see you from Whitby. <laughs> The last of the trio from Whitby Uncovered. Oh, I found three. They're just too good. Just yeah. too good. So, um, what's it called? Whitby Uncovered. Cheers, guys. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's lovely stuff, isn't it? Good, good bit of writing as well. And this story is called Headless Bert of Robin Hood's Bay. <laughs> Headless Bert. He's good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> got a bum with him already, yeah, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> His headless coming out. He's just on about his pint. He's a bit flat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> In the small town of Robin Hood's Bay, once lived a very frugal farmer named Bert Marshall. Now a lot of Yorkshire folk are frugal, 
We tend to save money where we can, and heaven forbid we pay out money for something we don't need. Which is, you know, that's fine. fine. Yeah, that's where we do it. And Bert Marshall went way beyond looking after the pennies, and he even went as far as stealing a set of dentures from a corpse <laughs> to replace his old teeth <laughs> with. Oh, you get what? Digging him up or sneaking into churches or what? I don't know. I think he was just sort of like, um, I don't know. I don't know. Standing in dirt. Kept digging down. It's worse than the Waterloo teeth. Isn't it? Oh, no, that were a real grim one, but you know, like they're freshly dead, but a fully rotten corpse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all oh. slop all over oh. it. No way. Mm. Now, Bert didn't have a way to travel round. He had an old horse that couldn't make it very far down the road, and it seems outrageous to Bert to buy a new horse. So whenever he needed to be anywhere, he would walk. So most of his journeys went on the route of the Whitby Scarborough railway line. Oh, now, right, have you ever so been on that? No, I haven't, no. no I I have, I've heard I've, some I've, good things about yeah, that. I've, I've done some mountain biking on there, and it's great. So. Also, it's an old track that's gone now. I no, it's gone, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah, just right, like yeah. A, I think it was like a narrow gauge. It was like a yeah. narrow, little, just a little railway line. But train tracks were there for Bert? Like, he would just... Oh, yeah, so he'd just follow the train tracks sort mm. of thing, you know. So, yeah, he'd, he'd follow the route of the, the Whitby Scarborough railway line. And one of his favourite journeys to make was to the pub. <laughs> if Bert would splurge on anything, it would be booze. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Bert. <laughs> So every Friday night, Bert would walk down the railway line towards his favourite haunt, the Windmill Inn in Stainsacre, which is a good five mile walk away. Wow. So that's not bad to go, he must be quite famous, Bert, you know. Yeah. So he would remove his teeth to get more for his money, so he could swirl the beer around his mouth and save the taste of that one luxury he felt comfortable spending his money on. Imagine uh, that uh, so swirling swirling his beer around. <laughs> So, as all good ghost stories start, it was a dark and stormy night when the intoxicated Bert made his way home along the railway line. I'm hoping for misfortune, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like all Bert. Imagine no. saying Bert made it home safely. The end. <laughs> so, no witnesses were around as to how the accident happened. Right, so it's a bit of a mystery. Mm. But it seemed that whatever happened knocked Bert's teeth out. And he had to bend to get them, right? And on his way down, Bert toppled over, right? And landed across the active railway line. And he he's, he's gives himself a bit, a bit of a dink on the Swede, right? So he's knocked himself out. Oh, he's Laid across the track with his head oh, across the track, right? Oh, my God. Bert's fate was set when an oncoming train was speeding towards him. And Bert was decapitated by the train. Just woke up in town. Yeah. <laughs> so when the Rosses arrived, right, the gruesome at the gruesome scene, they found his lifeless body on the tracks, but were unable to find his head. Uh, on what became of it, no one knew. Wow. Maybe it like got tangled in train. And it just maybe so. Well, I might have a, I might have a, an answer for that later wow. on, perhaps, but I don't know. But no one ever found out what had happened to his head, and it was assumed that wildlife had taken it to pieces, <laughs> yeah. swilling it around your mouth. Uh, now yeah. I am there. There's somebody swilling your mouth around there. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fox necking with Bert's head. It's murmuring. Oh, Bert. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it all works. <laughs> Let's get on. Bert's family searched tirelessly for his head. As it was important in those days for all the body parts to be buried together so that when Judgment Day came, his body was whole. 
his head was never found. Due to being buried without a head, some have suggested that Bert's spirit will never rest, and his headless ghost is still seen on moonlit nights on the train tracks. And some have said that Bert still carries his false teeth with him as he searches for his head, clanking them together like maracas. <laughs> <laughs> what in beat as well, you know? What are you just going like? Uh, maybe he's trying to talk with him. Like, Where's my fucking I think head? he's hoping to get a response from the head. Oh, boy. Imagine that. Why? I think that's a particularly spooky one. I love that one. I love that body like staggering out with no edit teeth. Grim as anything, isn't it? That's old Bert. And what's happening with that fox on the head? I don't like to think. Should have got a taxi, Bert. don't really know what happened to Bert's head then, do we? No. Bit of a mystery. Don't be anywhere. But then again, it seems that, you know, in the past, people lost their heads quite quickly. <laughs> what, guillotine? Well, <laughs> maybe so. There's lots of, lots of odd things that seem to have happened, right? For example, where did the head which became the screaming skull of Bert and Agnes Hall come from? Oh, <laughs> God, I've read star. Didn't they find it in a wall? Isn't that a different style? Well, let me uh, let's have a little dive yeah, in yeah. and have a cast out in that direction. <laughs> now, if you don't know Bert and Agnes, I mean, we've been there loads of times. It's lovely, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's got one of them like chess balls that you can play, you know, big chess balls. Yeah, yeah. Like you love your chess, you I like my chess, yeah. <laughs> Shit him. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Dave Lee at the V-Hay blog. Now, I think the V-Hay stands for a visit... Hull and East Yorkshire blog. I think that's what it is. Van Ellen, Dave Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Lee Roth. <laughs> van. I, won't, I won't be doing the story in his voice. Yeah. <laughs> <Ow>! <laughs> you might have passed or even visited Burton Agnes Hall. Dominating the village of Burton Agnes near Driffield, it was built by Sir Henry Griffith in 1601 to 1610. Nine wow. years in the building. And is widely considered one of the historical gems of the East Riding. Thankfully for you, however, you would have clapped eyes on one of the more sinister inhabitants of this Grade 1 listed Elizabethan manor. Legend has it that before the hall was completed, one of the daughters of Henry Griffith, Anne, was attacked by a cutthroat when walking in the park, and before falling into a fever and dying, she made her sisters promise that they would bring her head back into the hall so that she could see the completed structure. Though they, perhaps understandably, chose not to honour the request and had her body buried. Shortly after, they began to be plagued by strange moaning and weird sounds until they made the decision to have their sister's skull disinterred. Does that mean clean up? Dug up. Uh -oh. <laughs> right. But when they visited the family vault to carry out the sister's deathbed request, they discovered that her head was strangely fleshless, 
and already separated from the torso. Oh, God, just waiting. So that just waiting. Mm. Now it's like these uh, things there, the family vault, it's very close. I don't know because it's the chapel's just right next to the Bird yeah, Agnes Hall. Yeah, so the you know, it might be the case of that was like the screaming skull. Oh, just outside, just mm. screaming. Chattering. Mm. Yeah. But the skull was taken to the hall as promised, and peace was returned until an interfering servant, disbelieving the story, wrapped in a cloth and threw it on the back of a passing wagon whereby taking liberties the horses reared and trembled in fear and the hall shook and pictures fell off the wall until the skull was replaced after this it was placed in a niche in the wall and eventually walled up completely the exact whereabouts of the Bird Agnes Screaming Skull is now unknown, so they don't know which wall it's behind, but it's behind one of the walls. Yeah. But the spirit of Annie is still said to haunt the hall and is known as Old Nance. Local legend speaks of her appearance every year on the anniversary of her death. Interestingly, the Screaming Skull seems to be an eerie tale particular to Britain. Although the stories regarding the origin of the skulls vary, the phenomena experienced when the haunted skull is moved tends to be very similar, including bad luck, poltergeist activity, and blood-curdling screams. There are other well-known um, instances, which is like Calgoth Hall in Windermere, there's one for you, at Wardley Hall in Greater Manchester, and Tunstead Farm in Chapel and Lafrith, amongst others. So if you're feeling brave enough, why not take a trip up to Burton Agnes Hall and see if the ghost of old Nance makes herself known to you? If history is to be believed, she isn't exactly the shining retiring type. Oh, oh imagine that, middle of the night. <coughs> old Nance coming after you. A screaming skull. A screaming skull coming after you. Oh. Now, screaming skulls were a big part of my childhood in the books I read and the stories yeah, I read, yeah. ghost stories and stuff, you oh, know. Massively. And it's, I was reading about some more today, and it's like saying that one guy. Um, I think it's the one in Manchester. Mm. I think it was this guy's skull. What happened with him was he was right brute and a bully was his lord of the manor. Right. But he, he used to like to go around twatting people. <laughs> <laughs> Proper like fisticuffs. No. Right. So it was Roger Downs was this guy. Mm. And he was a royalist supporter. And his uh, and his skull that was the one at Wardley Hall in Manchester. But this guy he was like um it was a bit of a brew. He'd kind of wander around, but he'd have people to fight all the time. Oh, what he handy then? Or yeah, that's no. what he was. He was yeah. really, really handy. Oh. And so he'd go around and just sort of like say, "Right, you, you, grab him," and just kind of grab him and twat him. I ate a bully. I really <laughs> massive bully. Throwing it. And he was a top as well. You know. What so I mean? he had money to get police on his yeah, side. That's exactly that's no, we need against that though. Is nah, it? In. As well, even if you beat him, you probably get done for assault yeah, or something yeah, like that. You know, there's no winning, right? You know. But one time though, he's. he's he provoked a boat watchman near the Tower of London, right? Right. And no doubt thought that, um, that like everyone else he'd ever thought, his foe would collapse under the weight of his punches. <laughs> but it wasn't to be. Somehow the watchman managed to grab a sword and decapitated Downs with one swipe. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> How much would you like to see that? Uh, right, put up your jukes. <laughs> <laughs> 
be off with you. Yeah, and so he's so his head's like that's where his head's come from in the in the Wardley Hall there. Right, and that's another here. screamy one then. That's another screamer. I'll be laughing but you got <laughs> that one when he's screaming and blah Yeah. <laughs> just in skit. Yeah. <laughs> Hard cheese, Roger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Screaming skulls and heads and such like this, you know. Which a lot of people are saying it's peculiar to the UK. Right, so it's a yeah. weird thing. It's like a weird tradition for the UK. And they don't know why. Mm. You know what I mean? But I've got my own theories. Alright. Because I've been funny enough. I've sort of done quite a lot of studying into heads found in the Yorkshire Northern regions and things. Right. Yeah. And not just human heads. Mm. Now it used to be. It seemed to be a thing that way back in time, way, way, way back in time, to sort of appease a land or to make a, a land kind of precious or to make it sacred and make it safe yeah. to sort of give something back to the the gods who own the land mm. there would be human sacrifice on a particular spot wow. and they'd bury either the whole body or more often not just the head Christ. and they'd bury the head under their ground so you'd have that head under the ground of where you're living because then that would be appeasing the spirits of wow. it or another theory was that that head and the soul of that thing would guard your area. Oh. I've killed you. I've beaten you. You are now my slave to guard me, kind yeah. of thing. That was the thinking behind it's it. Ghoul that's looking after your cornfield. Yeah, that kind of malarkey. Yeah. yeah, that's what that's what the thing was going on. And this is obviously came from like the Viking eras and stuff like this. Now, yeah. but then this strange phenomena kicked off. Would it be before Viking? Well, to be honest, it could have been way before. They don't really know. It's yeah, one of these things like that's really lost in the sort of sands yeah, of time, yeah. way back in the mists of it, you know. Yeah. And they don't really know where it came from. But one thing they did become quite aware of eventually was that as you become more and more civilised as a nation and mm. you get more and more people, the populations go, you can't just be going chopping off heads and sticking mm, them in the ground. Yeah, human sacrifice. <coughs> <laughs> well, that's it. And it became a thing where they started to use uh, totems. All right. So what, instead of a human head, yeah. they started to bury stone heads. Whoa, so well, like smoking door, them kind of people. What do you mean? Stone heads? <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of hippies. No. <laughs> All right, wait. <laughs> but the thing is there, what they, <laughs> the, 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 what they do is they'd carve a, a head out of stone right, like and they'd lions. bury it on the property, right? Cool. And this is something I'm looking into at the moment and I'm, I'm not doing very well with it at the moment because of lockdown and things yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. you know. And I've spent a fair bit of money on, on books about it and stuff like this. <laughs> But the, one, the, the big expert on it at the time was Sidney Jackson. Oh, and he's a bit of a hero. I'm going to cover Sidney Jackson in a later episode. Yeah, the guy's yeah, an absolute champion. Yeah. But he's really looked into them. He thought they were sort of like Celtic. Even perhaps made during the times of the Druids. And things oh, like that's this. what I'm fishing for. I want a bit more Druid yeah. facts. Well, the odd thing is, it looks like the practice of burying stone heads on property... Um, goes back even not very far, only about maybe 200 years ago even, they were still doing it wow. in one way or another of the thinking. Yeah, the look you of know. it, yeah. And the way some are more complex, the carvings, but it's mainly, the, it, orange, it's like a Pennine thing, it goes yeah. up the Pennines, yeah. really big around Bradford, oh. um, there was one found in Horsforth, 
Wow. There's been found in Geisley, all sorts of places, locally around the Yorkshire sort of like regions and yeah, stuff. Yeah. They've been found locally buried these strange stone heads. But yeah, it seems to be like a phenomenon that's, that's peculiar to the north of England. Mm. But not all the heads were the same. Alright, so there's not one uniformed one. No. There wasn't. There wasn't a uniform one. They're all different, Ooh. all look strange. In fact, I'll, let me just give you a quick show. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take some, a little, scan some of these pictures and you can see what the different oh, heads are. So like. Very smooth and Romany. That's yeah. more gargoyle and yeah. basic. Look, look at that bad boy. That's like that one out of Exorcist, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it was like the Saw movies, doesn't it? Yeah. Thing, I think. But it is, they're all different shapes, they're all obviously done by different wow. craftsmen and stuff. It looks you know? like totally different areas, it's going through, it's like, yeah. you know, like 500 year differences and... Wow. That's, like, that's exactly what you've, you, you've hit the nail on the head. Look at him. And people, this guy, um, Sidney Jackson, he went round and he was, whenever he found him, he, he'd travel all over the place trying to find these. And he wouldn't kind of take him in and say, all oh, right, I'm going to have to take this into the museum. He yeah. basically, and he listed what they were being used as. So they turn around and say, oh, this, has been used, this has been put in a stone wall. Um, this has been used as a, as a gate stop outside and stuff oh. like this. These heads have been dug up when people have been gardening <laughs> or what, but doing the allotments, found a stone head. And just used it as an ornate bit of lump of stone. Jesus, which I just think it. it's a bit irreverent, really. But yeah, you know, yeah. but when I when I find a little bit more about them, Ooh, I'll, we'll do, yeah, I, might, I might do a little bit. Of, I might even do a, a short one on that. A light yeah, one. Yeah. I might do a lighthouse on Ooh, it. Oh, good on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that that <clears throat> But some of the most famous of the heads was the Hexham heads. And this I found bizarre. I've heard about this story before, but I think it's incredibly, it's incredibly peculiar. Yeah. It's so strange. So I'll give you a quick look at what the Hexham heads look like. Ooh, like nearly mask-like, like you know, a head yeah. with a mask on it. Well, I, I think these are because they've got like a slot thing. And again, I'll put, I'll put a picture of this online. Um, they've got like a slot, it's almost like they oh, use like a socket, yeah. it might be yeah. putting a socket on the top of something. Yeah. Very strange. So the heads were originally dug up by two boys, Colin and Leslie Robson, who found them in the garden in 1971. A number of sources incorrectly give the year as 1972, but it was 1971 yeah. when I found them. And Hexham is up in Northumberland, right, right? so yeah. it's actually damn right is this, it's on the Pennine sort of yeah. white ridge, it's up there. So it's old northern stone heads. Mm -hmm. So after the discovery, the Robson family reported strange phenomena, with the heads allegedly being moved when no one was in the room, and bottles being mysteriously thrown across the room. The Dodd family next door also reported phenomena, with one of the boy's hair being pulled in the night, but it's what his mother, Ellen, saw, oh, which yeah. is the weirdest thing. So several nights after this has been found, these stone heads. Yeah. So Colin and Les have took them home, they're in house, <coughs> it's all getting a bit weird. It's all getting a bit weird, it's weird around their house, they're getting sort of like poltergeist phenomena in their house. Yeah, yeah. But the neighbour called Ellen Dodd, she was sitting watching TV with her daughter when they both saw what was later described as a half man, half beast enter the room. The women screamed quite naturally under the circumstances as a creature turned around almost nonchalantly and headed back down the stairs. Jesus. And when they plucked up the courage to go downstairs themselves, they found their front door open as if the beast had exited it. Wow, that is awesome. <coughs> Isn't that just bizarre? It's reminding me of Exorcist, because she models one of, you know, from the old demon, you know, she's kind of like subconsciously kind of like modelled of the beast that she's seeing and playing Ouija board with into it, it's a big part yeah, of it. Yeah, it's Ooh, super creepy, with it. But then they kind of, they 
you know, realised they don't want the, these yeah. heads of the house. They decided that this is mental. We don't want these kicking about, right? So there was an, uh, an academic called Dr. Anne Ross, and she took possession of the hex and head. She says, look, you know, I'm an academic. I'll take yeah, this yeah. She's a you know, cool mind there, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, right. So yeah, because she's like a like a cool head, she'll she'll look after these things and just study it with it, with an academic's gaze, you know. Mm-hmm. But several nights after taking the heads home, the doctor awoke at two a.m. and admitted to feeling cold and frightened, though for no particular reason. Then she looked towards her bedroom doorway and saw something truly disturbing. And as she describes it, it was about six feet high slightly stooping and it was black against the white door and it was half animal and half man the upper part i would have said was a wolf and the lower part was human and i would have again said that it was covered with a kind of black very dark fur it went out and i just saw it clearly and then it disappeared and something made me run after it she gave chase a thing I wouldn't normally have done, but I felt compelled to run after it. I got out of bed and I ran, and I could hear it going down the stairs. Then it disappeared towards the back of the house. Jesus, what a great crowd chasing that beast. But then Dr. Ross seemingly put the entire episode down to a nightmare. But sometime later, she arrived home with her husband, the archaeologist Richard Feachman and found their teenage daughter, Bernice, in a condition of great distress. Anne Ross's daughter told her parents she had entered the family home through the front door, using her keys, only to see a huge black shape dashing down the stairwell. Oh, that's a stair, doesn't it? No, it does. It's got human feet, you can just run up and down quite nicely, shall we up? <laughs> Halfway down, the beast effortlessly vaulted over the banister rail and landed in the hallway on its padded feet. Perhaps wisely, Ross passed on custodianship of the heads to others, and they eventually found their way to the British Museum. Here, however, they were also said to be responsible for some rather disturbing events of paranormal nature, and they were taken off show. The enigma of the Hexham heads has never been solved, although there have been rumours that the beast-like apparition that seemed to accompany it was connected to the enigmatic creature known as the Allendale Wolf. So in 1904, farmers in Allendale near Hexham became extremely concerned when their livestock started to get killed at an alarming rate. Something was attacking the sheep and killing them with chilling efficiency. Initially the attacks were always perpetrated at night and in all cases the damage done to the carcasses was horrific. Entrails would be left hanging out and internal organs would be mangled and ripped to shreds. The bulk of the bite marks seemed to be concentrated on the head, neck and feet areas, leading farmers to speculate that the predator was actually a wolf. Although at that time, there were, at least to my knowledge, no wolves roaming free through the countryside. But no, but the killings did eventually stop there with the wolf, but why it would be connected to this one, I don't know. If you think about it, like we don't know what these heads are. We've got the basic idea that they give you good luck or ownership of the land. Let's say there's some old wise woman, some wizard old dude who's thinking, I know how to get rid of this wolf. You know what I mean? Like you carve the effigy. Oh, that's a good idea. In. Maybe the word guarding the land. Exactly, and you You're pull right. that back up. It's like he's already kind of been maybe a 
attached to the stone or trapped inside the stone and you're fucking about with them and getting old. <laughs> well, this is the thing, so we don't know. They're an absolute mystery of these heads. They've yeah. dug them up from land that should, they shouldn't be dug up, dug up from. And they've unleashed the beast. Isn't it? Old Colin Lenny, wasn't it? Digging oh, them up. Naughty boys. <laughs> <laughs> Put them back. Scally. Well, that's the thing. But that's the thing with the, the, the head that's been taken from the horse with the guy who's guarding it, isn't it? Because yeah. dad dug it, he wants his head back. And that's why I'm searching for. I'm trying to I'm trying to get the head back to the horse. Wow, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's not very easy. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got like big furry beasts uh, roaming the countryside and stuff like this, you know. And stairs. Yeah, and stairs <laughs> up and down bloody dances. <laughs> but you know, I, but it, it all seems to link together these things. You know, the idea that all the way up, like, like up North Yorkshire and up into sort of East Yorkshire, all those areas up into Northumberland, we've got stone heads and wolf men. I mean, mm. look at what's them the what's the one at the drain? What I forgot what it's yeah. called now. Over. Oh God. It Old stinker, yeah, old stinker. stinker. You got old stinker paws all around there, over towards the whole region. Yeah, but what about the guy trash of Gulfland? Ooh, yeah. So this is another one. So although the North York Moors boast a plethora of haunting ghosts and foul beasts that lurk among its heather, there aren't many tales that are as harrowing and horrifying as the story known as the guy trash of Gulfland. Mm -hmm. So Gulfland, if you didn't know, is just outside of Whitby. It's up on the moor. It's one of these little villages yeah, up there. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit sort of Whitby, North Yorkshire village mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know, in Julian Park, once stood a castle built by Julian de Morley. The date of this tale is uncertain, but it is believed to have been before the Norman Conquest. Maybe even going as far back as our friend King Arthur. Ooh. But still, this is just speculation. The castle itself was small and lacked anything wondrous about it. The castle itself was small and lacked anything wondrous about it. In fact, the townspeople ignored it until Julian began following old pagan beliefs. Oh, wow. One being that if a virgin was walled up in the castle, it would stand forever. Julian was so obsessed by trying to make his castle stand the test of time that he ventured into the village to find the most beautiful maiden he could get. The obsessed Julian laid his eyes on Githa, the most beautiful virgin girl in the town and daughter of a mill owner called Gudrun. The idea of having Githa cruelly bricked up alive in the castle was hideous to the townsfolk and they protested as much as they could to stop the torture but Julian ignored their pleas. In an act of further evilness, Julian ordered that Gudrun, Githa's heartbroken father, would be the one to build the wall around his oh, daughter. How can he make, is he like the lord of the land? Yeah, oh, that's he's oh, just one of these whip-cracking twats. <laughs> <laughs> he's just even like an evil baron, isn't he? You know oh, what I, mean? I just do what you mean. The other thing, oh, well, at least he's dead, I'm dead, my daughter's yeah. alright. But when he refused, so this is good runners refused to build the wall, yeah, good like, running. he was tortured until he could no longer take any more and eventually agreed to construct his daughter's tomb. Oh. 
Geetha was given a tumbler of water and a loaf of bread as she sobbed as the bricks got higher and higher above her. Before the last two stones were placed, a spinning wheel was given to Geetha and some yarn. As Julian said, she must keep busy, even in her final moments. Oh, what an horrible Geetha. And in that castle, Geetha slowly died as she pleaded for her life. Exactly one year to the day that Geetha was bricked up within Julian's walls, Julian was lying on his bed when he suddenly found himself unable to move and could hear a piercing wailing which grew closer until Geetha appeared in the last pieces of clothes she had ever worn. With her, Geetha carried a spindle in the arm and she floated to the foot of the bed and stared down at the snivelling Julian in complete silence and began slowly tying his legs with yarn and then suddenly she left. But Julian wasn't able to move his feet where she had woven with them what was now invisible thread. Every year on the anniversary of her cruel fate Geetha would appear to Julian and thread his legs more each time the more his legs got paralysed and then it moved on to his body and when he was fully paralysed he died and on that night the Gaitrash first appeared and it is believed to be the spirit of Julian and it is believed that if you ever see the spirit it means chaos is about to ensue and the Gaitrash appears in the shape of a huge white or black dog Black dog again, black isn't it? Black dog again, there yeah, we go, you know what I mean? Weird, isn't it? Oh, what the old school, so evil, isn't it? What kind of blog thing? And I'll get your dad to do it. <laughs> what are you thinking, lad? Well, I suppose it's like contractor, maybe he's just really good at it. You can't get a good, good, good builder these days, can you? <laughs> Yours were the first name on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck scrolling down to page two. (laughs) Alan Aardvark from the building. (laughs) (laughs) It's all the A's who were there first. That's a good use, that is. It's a spooky tale. Chaos is going to happen. Chaos is going to happen. I kind of like that, though, you know what I mean? I'm thinking it's not death, though, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's chaos is going to ensue, and that, yeah, I think it's mad. (laughs) But what they named the Gay trash or whatever, you know. It's, 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 it's just these weird names that which are quite unfamiliar to our mouths. It sounds like right. Viking to me. Yeah, does that, you know what I mean? That does well. sound got a ring. In fact, to the it. tail's got a bit of a Viking ring to it. Yeah, the tail has, you know. Dogs, but then again, that's what East Yorkshire's like. I mean, East Yorkshire's just this wonderful empty wilderness of. Uh, I mean, it's the, mo- it's the most longest habitat um, farmed area in England. Ah, is East Yorkshire, wow. and you can tell as well. It's absolutely mad. But I. Kid you not, when you go, if you were to go walking, properly go walking in East Yorkshire, yeah. um, you know you're among ghosts. Yeah. You know you're among ghosts. It's just so eerie. Oh. I've gone walking a few times around there, and you just suddenly find yourself in a field or in one of the little folded valleys, the strange yeah. folded valleys, and you're thinking, I could just walk here forever and never come out, and nobody would oh find me, God. I'd never be missed, yeah. sort of thing. Very strange and eerie place. I kind of like it though. Yeah, I do yeah. kind of like it. You know, it's a it's a good one as that. But keep your wits about you though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gay trash could be lucky. <laughs> <laughs>
we're going to be talking about spectral hounds mm-hmm. being Yorkshire folk ourselves. You know what I mean? Right. There's one hound that we can't leave out here. You know, Ooh. the Bargvest. Uh, yeah, and you have mentioned him before. Well, we have, we have. You know, he's out. He's kind of our spectral hound. Isn't yeah. he? You know what I mean? It's like you got North Yorkshire. And it's, he's the one from our local patch. Mm-hmm. Is the bag vest, <laughs> and again, he's meant to be one of the spe- big spectral hounds up there with Padfoot, and uh, I can't remember what Striker is another oh, name yeah. for one. One's called Striker, yeah. but uh, he's our big lad. But I've I've always wondered, well, where's the accounts of it? Where's the where's the main accounts yeah, yeah. of like who's met it, who's seen the dog, you know? And actually, I I do have an account from 1820, lovely, and this first appeared in uh, Holmes' Tableside Book. Right, and yeah. this was from 1820, so you know it's, it's an old book. In fact, I was so intrigued about this, uh, I just bought myself a copy today. <laughs> <laughs> clicky, clicky. Oh, I couldn't resist it. But it's from about 1823, is the, wow. the edition I'm getting. Oh, that's it. Uh, yeah. uh, and it's, it's, it describes itself as a table book, and it's just full of anecdotes, stories, wow. all sorts of stuff um, from all over the place. And it's got, I think it's got the never-ending calendar in it as well, oh, which wow. is bizarre, because obviously the, the, the numbers roll round or the years roll round. Yeah, yeah. I think you can just sort of... Yeah, that, I, I'm intrigued to see what this book is. Yeah, I'm sure it'll right. actually give up some decent tales well, in it. Great itself. one for the library, isn't it? That's yeah. it is well done. But this is the... In, in this Holmes Tableside book, this is what was written about a, an, a, a, an encounter with a bag vest. Oh, bag is such a cool name. So it's actually written in the, the colloquial Yorkshire. Ah, colloquial. Yeah. So, you see, sir, as I'd been a clock dressing at Gersted or Grassington, and I'd stayed rather late, I may be getting a little supper spirit, but I was far from being drunk, and I knew everything that passed. So he seemed aware of everything yeah. that was going to happen. It was about 11 o'clock when I left, and we're at the back end of the year, and a most admirable, beautiful night it were. The moon were very bright, and I never seen Rilston Fell plain in all my life. Now you see, sir, I was passing down Mill Lane. I heard someone come past me. Rush, 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 with chains rattling out wild. But I said nothing, and I thought to myself, now this is a mortal queer thing. And then I stood still, and I looked about me, but I saw nothing at all, not but the two stone walls on each side at Mill Lane. Then I heard again this rush, rush, rush with the chains. For you see, sir, when I stood still it stopped, and then, thought I, this must be a bag vest, that so much is said about. And I hurried on towards Woodbridge. For well, they say as how this bag vest cannot cross water. Lord, sir, when I got up brig, I heard the same thing again. So it must have crossed water at Gain Round by Springhead, but which is about 30 miles away. And then I became a valiant man. For I were a bit frightened before. And I thinks, I'll turn and have a peep at this thing. So I went up Great Bank towards Linton. And I heard this brush, brush, brush with the chains up within. I said nothing. Then it ceased all of a sudden. So I turned back to go home, but I'd hardly reached door when I heard this brush, brush, brush again, and the chains going down towards Olin House. 
and I followed it, and the moon was shone very bright, and I seen its tail. Then I thought, that old thing, I can say I've seen thee now. So I way home, but when I got to the door, there were a girt thing like a sheep, but it were larger, legging across the threshold at the door, and it were woolly-like, and I says, get up. It wouldn't get up. And I says, stir this hell. And it wouldn't stir itself. And I grew valiant. And I raised stick to beat it with. And then it looked at me. And such eyes. They did glower. And were as big as saucers. And like a crueled ball. First there were a red ring. Then a blue one. Then a white one. And these, green, these rings grew less and less till they came a dot. Now my name feared on it, although though it gurned at me fearfully. And I kept on saying, get up and stir yourself. And why feared, as I was at the door, and she came to open it. And then this thing got up and walked off. For it were more feared at wife than it were of me. And I told wife and she said, it were a bad vest. But I've never seen it since. That's a true story. Jesus, wait, that's it. Eyes are scary. Oh my god, the description's going down. That's like really like you've seen something. That's a, it's an hard thing to make up when you've no TV and colouring books and you know, like magazine. 200 years ago. Jesus, right. Just to clarify as well, because the bag fest is supposed to be a big fucking horrible hound, isn't it? But he's supposed to have the chains around its neck, isn't it? That's one of the big things. I've heard that before. I'm have to do a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. We're only the other day, I'll try to have a peek at someone and it came up with bag I'll do a little bit more homework on the hound and it's got chains around its neck and that bit when he crossed so he I thought he was crossing over a bridge but he said did he wade through a, 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 a no, through a river well I think, I'm not too sure whether he waded through a river or crossed a bridge but um that bad fest had managed to I think he maybe waded through a, a you know like a, a crossing stone yeah a gump, but he ran down to a bridge like say 30 yeah, miles, 30 miles away. Well, well I think it was up. almost like you know like the head at stream where it came from ah, so the yeah. underground so that's it makes like he sort of like fled up the 30, 30 miles in oh, sort of like 30 says, seconds yeah, kind of thing yeah you know? oh what a great tale that is <coughs> the bad vest so yeah <laughs> especially in Yorkshire too that was brilliant when I really enjoyed it. well that. I'm hopefully Later on in the month, I might get another. If I'm lucky, mm. if I'm lucky, and I'm fingers crossed on this, it's quite tricky. But I might have a true life account of somebody who's met a bargress. Oh my god! <laughs> like now, a recent one. You know, last thirty odd years. Well, that's recent yeah, enough. Yeah, recent enough. Yeah, modern. Yeah, a modern account of an oh. encounter with a bargress. So watch this space yeah. or listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> We've, I think we've ascertained it's quite a cruel time, wasn't it? Yeah. We've got, yeah, we, you know, savage. we've seen like, nasty yeah. barons and people yeah. like this, you know, killing people and everything like that, right? <laughs> you know. And sometimes all you need, you know, what's going to stick up for ordinary folk, ordinary people? Mm. Maybe sometimes, maybe it's a ghost does. Ah. And maybe a ghost saved Bradford. 
<laughs> Bradders. Yeah. Cool. So this is a story called Pity Poor Bradford. Hmm. And this is from a little collection of stories I've, I've read from May before. This is uh, Folk Tales of Yorkshire by uh, HLG. It's a nice old... Yeah, it's a nice little, nice little book. If you can get a copy of it, HLG's... He's, he's done a, he did a good collection of stories, little, little story books like this. Yeah. Good thing of these. It used to be back in the day. You could have this in your pocket. Go yeah. to the pub. Whip this out and have yeah. a little, little smoker, a little cigar, <laughs> a slim pan of teller and a pint of bitter. <laughs> and you, you don't need a mate. You've yeah, got this little book. Yeah. That's what you need, you know. Right. So during the Civil War, the town of Bradford which had been held by the parliamentarians under Sir Thomas Fairfax, was surrounded by royalist forces, commanded by the Earl of Newcastle. Determined to lose no time, the Earl placed his cannon at Goodman's End, above the town, and while the Parliament's guns were silent, the soldiers having expended all their ammunition at Adwalton, the royalist guns poured shot into the streets all through the night. Bradford was indeed at the mercy of the enemy, and when Sir Thomas Fairfax and his forces had succeeded in cutting their way through the Royalists' lines, and had thus escaped, the Earl of Newcastle gave orders that his troops should kill every man, woman and child in Bradford. So they're basically going to total it, yeah. kill everybody, and then just set fire to everything to oh, destroy God. it. And they'd already been hammering it with yeah. cannon fire, you oh, know. Right. Yeah. The night before this sentence was to be carried out, the Earl was sleeping at Bowling Hall, which is still there now. Right. Yeah, yeah. A mansion with two massive towers, begun in the 14th century. At dead of night, the Earl was awakened by an apparition. Feeling the bedclothes being disturbed, he opened his eyes and was startled to see, dimly in the blackness, the ghostly form of a woman clad from head to foot in white gauze. And though a soldier, he was frightened and lay trembling in the bed, the more so when the strange figure, wringing its hands, moaned, Pity poor Bradford! Pity poor Bradford! Having said this, the ghost vanished without a sound. The Earl had no more sleep that night, and so disturbed had he been that he immediately gave orders that no one in Bradford should be put to the sword except those who offered resistance. And in this manner, Bradford was saved from the hands of the Royalists. Wow! Now some people some people did die because there was a few people like put up a little bit of a fight yeah. but, but where it was going to be hundreds of people put oh, to the sword. Just, uh, everybody gone. Yeah. <laughs> but they reckon too. that's that um, ghost still haunts Bowling Hall. Wow. The same one could come here. Yeah. Paul Bradford. Yeah, and I do as well because it's a bit of a shit hole. I'm glad we're going there. Jesus. I've always felt a bit sorry for Bradford. You know what I mean? He's got some good. He's got some good aspects for it. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Some good bits, but guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 See, we've had some good times there, but bloody no. Right. At least to put socks up, does Bradford? <laughs> <laughs> Pity Paul Bradford. <laughs> Oh, you see, the fire's starting to get a bit low now, isn't it? Please, you know? those magical embers are waning a little bit there. Yeah, but I think what we might do before we go to bed tonight is just lob another cheeky log on there, just to keep Ooh. it going. There's no chance of anywhere burning, because it's on the rocks on the exactly, beach. Exactly, it's on sand and stone around it. But if we're lucky, you see, we just looks on our side. 
Yeah, it might be there. It might be just ready to coax up again in a week's time, might it? You know, <laughs> or can keep it going throughout spooky oh, months. Aye, that'll be lovely. And again, the little glowing embers might help out. You know, we've got the light going out from the old uh, lighthouse. Yeah. But, you know, just next to a little glow out there might help. Just a little oh, fishing boat. Maybe help rub on Pete. The old pit head. But over at Scarborough, oh, see, that's where we're yeah. going to go. We'll finish off at the seaside, because yeah, that's where we lovely. are now. We're yeah. at the seaside. So you can almost see Scarborough from here, yeah. can't you? But over out, just outside Seaside, there's it, it, Clawton Hall. Oh, I've never right. heard of that yeah. either. I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've heard of it. I've been, I've been through Clawton. There's a village called Clawton. And there's a story, a strange story there about there of, of a very odd kind of haunting, mm. right? So we've had all sorts of we had dogs, haven't we? Stone Age. Uh, yeah, we had Stone Age. We've had all mm. sorts of different kind of hauntings, but this is um, a story that's originally Ghosts of the North by Jack Hallam. It's a collection of one of his collections, right? Mm. The story goes like this: that a nursemaid in a service at Clawton Hall, and I think it was about so I don't know. 1920s, 30s, 40s, something. Mm. There's not a real date on this one, but I yeah. think that's when it, about when it was. Um, she was in the, and she was at the hall, and she was she was on her deathbed. She had a bit of a bad time of it with the poor last, and she was breathing her last and very annoyed at the prospect of dying young. Oh, right? Yeah. She wasn't happy about it at all. Yeah. But the doctor in attendance could do nothing for her, and therefore the maid, in her despair and anger. Cursed the doctor. Oh God! Yeah. So days after the girl died, and a ghost white hair was seen in and around the area. So like a rabbit, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Flitting around in the long grass, and suddenly disappearing without a trace. And winter was drawing in, and the temperatures reached below zero, making the roads a very dangerous place. The doctor, nevertheless, still had his rounds to carry out, and did so with extreme care. On occasion, the local minister would accompany him on part of his rounds, so car sharing was a sensible thing to do in such treacherous conditions. Answering an emergency call one night, he and the minister set off to visit a dying villager, but were involved in a terrible car crash. The doctor was killed instantaneously, Yet the minister survived with nothing more than a scratch. Upon asking the minister what happened, he replied by telling the investigators that the doctor had been driving along and had suddenly swerved to miss a large animal that had seemingly jumped out from the hedgerow directly into the car's path. And when asked what kind of animal it was, the minister replied, It, it was a hare. A huge white hair. The scary rabbit. Yeah, rabbit's a rabbit. You just know it's a rabbit. Hair is a terrifying. Oh, you know, I've only seen a couple of them. They're goofy-eyed monsters. They're absolutely horrible. Rares. You know, you see, like, what, is that a dog? What the hell's that? Like, yeah. a giant white hair. I could just imagine a big bunny suit. <laughs> I'm thinking just like looking at his tash and he's thinking in pure black moustache. <coughs> it's a giant white hair. <laughs> <laughs> Pluck it out. <laughs> no. So there they finish off with a, a giant a white hair. What an ending. <laughs> <laughs> Never look at Easter the same. So remember, guys, 
these were my stories of the northern reaches now. Yeah, so you, you reach out. Oh, that's it. I like it. I like it. Reach yeah. out to Kraken, dudes and yeah. dudesses. Yeah, that's it. Get out there, tell us your stories and everything. We've already got we've got at least one show one yeah, show full yeah. already. If we can make it two, it'll be absolutely magical. Oh, please. Because I'm I'm really enjoying it and it really helps spooky month that we all share true stories. I think yeah. it's really good. So for now it's getting a bit chilly out here, so me and Benny are gonna go inside and Let's get topped up. Beans on toast? Yeah. Oh. A little bit of Tabasco, I like. Oh, I can't yeah, have that yeah. Too. fire it yeah, up. Fire yeah, it up a bit. Yeah. Let's go fire it up together then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a big good night from Matt. And it's a big spooky bye-bye from Benny. Take care guys. See ya. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cold. Either by email at crackandcoldpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at crackandcold, or Instagram at crackandcoldpod. Ha ha!